Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. On this weekly podcast, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. On today's show, we speak with the Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and the General Manager of Monumental Sports Network at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Zachary Leonsis. But first, let's look at the top stories of the week. Joining us is Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Eben Novi-Williams. And let's start with the story that you wrote, and it's about the NBA TV ratings, and they are giving the NFL a handful. <laughs> yeah, the uh, Christmas Day, which the NBA is very much trying to make its biggest regular season day of the year uh, turned in some pretty big ratings this year uh, for the NBA up 39% on the ESPN networks over last year uh, including as you know a, a rematch of last year's final between uh, the Warriors and the Cavaliers which was not without its uh, fair share of controversy <laughs> again uh, NFL feels like you need to put it in a disclaimer the NFL is still the giant in the room when it comes to TV ratings uh, the NFL game on Christmas in a down year um, still did better, significantly better than the best NBA game of the day. Uh, so I feel the need to say that. Um, but yes, there's no question that in the in the ratings gap between the NBA and the NFL, the NBA is slowly closing that gap. Yeah, you should say that. Everybody should say that. I mean, if you're going to give any sort of perspective, you have got to talk about the NBA as yes, ratings are going up, but let's talk about total number of viewers. And the NFL is still the unquestioned king of the hill. It's not even close. Do they, right, exactly. Yeah. Do they shrink that difference even more? I don't know. Perhaps in the day, as we're going to talk about with Zach, in, in a world of scale and digital on a global basis, will the NBA one day have more eyeballs on its product than the NFL? That's a different question than just what did we get on ABC or ESPN this week. Yeah, and in an age where we talked about NFL ratings going down, it seems like every week they're down, uh, the cost to advertise in NBA games is going up higher than the rate of, of, of viewers dropping out. So, so the NFL is on pace to make more money in, in TV ads than, than they were uh, in, in years past NFL networks. We can talk about whether the protests have taken a hit uh, for the NFL ratings-wise. But I'll tell you one thing that is hurting the NFL. What in the Sam Hill is a catch? Because people are trying to watch the game and they are still trying to figure out, well, what are the rules? It's so complicated that I think people are like, I don't know what to do. Not only is it complicated, the rules are also changing. I mean, if you were an NFL fan 20 years ago, what was defined as a catch then is fundamentally different than what was a catch now. And you're right. I mean, we saw with Pittsburgh and New England a couple weeks ago, uh, these are game-defining decisions, you know. And, and in that case, uh, flipped who who's going to be the number one seed in the AFC. Uh, you're right. I think for, for fans, that's one of the one things, one of the big things that need to be addressed right now is getting an understanding of the rule book. Uh, concussions, obviously, another one. You know, the NFL has has struggled this year to make its concussion policy consistent, and, and fans get upset about it. Another story, Evan, that you were involved in, and another topic. Buffalo billionaire Terry Pagula and his wife, they are expanding their sports empire again. The Buffalo uh, Bills and Sabres owners, Terry and, and, and Kim Pagula, uh, are buying the Buffalo Buttes, the uh, Women's National Hockey League team, uh, which is a, a huge deal for, for fans of women's professional hockey out there. Uh, this is the first uh, WNHL team that is going to be owned by a, uh, an NFL and an NHL owner. 
Um, it's the first one not owned by the league itself, which is obviously a big deal for a league that started just two years ago. Uh, not a lot of money in this. I don't know exactly what they paid. I can't imagine it was all that much. But the league has games that are broadcast on Twitter. Uh, they're selling merchandise. It's the first league in North America to pay women to play hockey. Um, certainly an exciting day for, for women's professional hockey. If I could watch the USA women play the Canadian women on a consistent basis, that's something I would tune into. I just don't know a lot of these players. We know that this is not going to draw a whole lot of eyeballs. So you wonder, does sponsorship come attached? This is one of those, do you have to buy this if you want Sabres and Bills in Buffalo, if you want to be attached to the major sports franchises? Let's see how they do it. Clearly a labor of love because Terry Pagula, as we know, built the ice arena at Penn State. So he has given a lot of money to the sport on many levels. Let's see if he can uh, make a nickel or two out of this. Let's talk about another topic. And this is, file this under the, well, if I own the team, (laughs) let's talk about Miami businessman Jorge Moss. He has mentioned that if he owned the Miami Marlins, he wouldn't be doing this salary dump, for lack of a better term right now. Yeah, a little context that Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman traded Giancarlo Stanton. Uh, They are really drastically cutting payroll. There was a big interview with Dan Lebetard and the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. What did baseball know? Did they know they're going to trade these particular players? And then Jorge Mas comes out and says, who bid on the team but didn't get it, he he bid $200 million less. He came out and said, well, I wouldn't have done it this way. We would have had a much higher payroll. So the folks in South Florida are none too pleased with, should I do a Bob Shepard imitation? <laughs> no, you want to do <laughs> it. You two. have a better voice. You do it. Number two, Derek Gita. Oh, maybe I should have done it. <laughs> maybe I should have done it. <laughs> yeah. four, but, out of, four out of ten. But, you know, Mr. Derek Jeter, Mr. Wonderful, everybody loves Derek. And I, I did I say this on this show last week or the week before that somebody had said to me that who'd have thunk it when it's all said and done? Alex Rodriguez would be more popular than Derek Jeter. I mean, that's the way we're headed. But we think, and all the sports bankers I talked to at the time were very surprised that this group spent as much money as it did for that money-losing franchise, and they're out there right now trying to raise some more money because Bruce Sherman wants to lower his commitment. So interesting times in South Florida. This seems like a really easy thing for Jorge Mas to say, right? It's not his money anymore. He didn't get the team. He's not running it. Um, It would have cost $140 million to keep the team together. Uh, The team doesn't draw that well. It seems kind of unrealistic to expect uh, Marlins owners to pay $140 million in payroll. Uh, So obviously there was going to be some slashing involved. Uh, Has Jeter gone too far for many fans? Yeah, it seems like he has, but he inherited a team that has, what, $400 million worth of debt? I mean, you have to pay that off in some way, and and cutting salary is a way that teams do it. It happens across all four major sports. We've seen it be successful in other sports. Certainly the Astros are an example of of it working. Um, It's too early, in my opinion, just to judge Derek Jeter on on what his ownership has done so far. Not in South Florida. (laughs) (laughs) Evan is always busy, but boy, he was busy this week. Thank you very much. Our thanks to Bloomberg Business of Sports reporter Evan Noby-Williams. And now, our interview with Senior Vice President of Strategic Initiatives and the General Manager of Monumental Sports Network at 
at Monumental Sports and Entertainment, Zachary Leonsis. Uh, Zach, do you have enough titles in there? I mean, who came up with that? Was was that you, or did they just give it to you? Well, I mean, we were working on Monumental, and it just started to expand into other verticals and whatnot, which I think we'll be definitely digging into today. Yeah, that's what I love about Monumental. If I said to you, or if somebody came up to you and said, Monumental Sports and Entertainment, MSC, what is that? I'm not familiar with it. Where do you begin? Well, I like to take some pride in calling ourselves the fastest-growing sports entertainment and media company in North America, hopefully the world at some point. I mean, obviously people uh, know us best for some of our big league teams, the Washington Capitals and Washington Wizards, but we also have a WNBA team in the Washington Mystics. We've launched two arena football league teams in the Washington Valor and the Baltimore Brigade. We've got two uh, minor league hockey teams in the AHL Hershey Bears and the ECHL South Carolina Stingrays. We're launching a brand new G League team called the Capital City Go-Go. Uh, we're launching an NBA 2K team um, in, the, uh, in Wizards District Gaming. And we've also made an investment in an endemic eSport franchise called Team Liquid, um, which a lot of people kind of consider to be the Yankees of eSports, playing in titles like League of Legends and Dota 2 and CSGO and the like. We've got our arena, Capital One Arena, located in downtown Washington, D.C. And then we have a big media partnership with Comcast and NBC Sports Washington here in our area where we're minority equity uh, owners. Uh, and then we've launched Monumental Sports Network, which is our over-the-top direct-to-consumer sister network to NBC Sports Washington. So we continue to grow and expand. I think in 2018 we really want to perfect a lot of our crafts, um, but we do continue to invest in sort of a sport-related opportunities. Um, we are big in new media, big in esports, starting to get big in gaming and gambling as that becomes more and more relevant. It's a lot of different interesting touch points that we're seeing in Washington, D.C. All right, well, that's all the time we have today. Thank you, Dak, for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's. You did it. (laughs) Let's let's backtrack. And now that everybody knows all the things you're into, let's slice and dice a little bit. You mentioned the esports. Let's start there because it's up and coming. Everybody I talk to is investing in it, but they're really not sure what they have. Now you're investing alongside Peter Guber. Now he's uh, an owner of the Dodgers and the Warriors. Jeff Vinnick. He's one of the owners of the Lightning. Do you get the sense? Am I accurate in that people want to be there? but they're just not sure what the end goal is, where is there there? I think people have been thinking that way for a couple of years now, and what I do fear for people who are trying to get into the space is that um, there are probably some opportunities that have been missed at this point because valuations are increasingly higher and higher and higher. Um, we really took a bit of a plunge into eSports about 16 or 17 months ago by investing into Team Liquid, And it came after probably two full years of research and customer and strategic partner interviews and the like, because, you know, we first heard about an eSport event selling out Madison Square Garden, and of course that piqued our interest, and we raised our hand and said, we'd love to host a Super Bowl equivalent event at Capital One Arena, and we basically got laughed at, right? And I think a lot of other sports organizations probably had a similar experience because we were dumb in the space. We didn't really know what this community was all about, and we needed to do our homework to really understand why it was relevant, why it was so beautifully organic, um, and, and what really makes that audience so special. And 
it's a complicated ecosystem too. I mean, there are so many different layers to that um, food chain, so to speak, with publishers, tournament organizers, brands that are trying to get into the space, both endemic and non-endemic, uh, new media partnerships, and then these teams. And you know what I think is most amazing about esports is it's really the very first live event category where digital is the absolute primary distribution source and cable is the secondary complementary one. Forever, cable has always been the primary channel for distribution of live sports and digital has been the complementary one. And now it's slowly starting to creep in. You see a lot more OTT offerings. I listened to your podcast last week with uh, Peter Cohen. I thought that was, he was very bright and brought up a lot of great points. Clearly, the new media landscape is shifting for sports, but everyone's really watching esports to figure out how do we create a business around media for this next generation of fan that won't pay subscriptions, um, that is quick to chew out inauthentic ad campaigns and brand experiences, and is more interested in following star power, interacting with community members through chat while watching online, and is watching primarily on mobile or tablet displays. You have to help an old man here. I just got an Atari video gaming system for Christmas. And I'm like, heck yeah, now this is what video gaming is all about. And then we have the entire eSports genre. And I, you have to help me understand this is huge. What makes this so popular? So it is enormous. Um, if you think about this, so the League of Legends World Championships was about two months ago held in Beijing um, at a nearly sold-out Bird's Nest Stadium, and 80 million people watched online via Twitch. Wow. I mean, that is big audience, and we're approaching Super bowl size numbers, right? So, you know, a lot of people will ask me, well, is esports really a sport? And typically my response is, you're, you're missing the point. It doesn't really matter if it's a sporting event. People have debated that about NASCAR and golf. Um, this is big and important, and it's big because it's a primarily young audience, and it's a younger audience that doesn't watch traditional sports like we do today. I went to E3 uh, last June, which is one of the biggest e-sport conferences in the world held in L.A., and I was talking to a few eSports fans, just kind of picking people's brains. Is that a Team Liquid uh, demo for Quake, which is a title produced by or published by Bethesda Softworks? And I said, are you watching the NBA Finals? I said, nope, I don't have cable. So, well, it's on ABC. It's on network. So you actually could watch it, but you didn't even realize it was on network television. He goes, yeah, well, I'm, I'm a way bigger League of Legends fan, and my favorite player is Faker. And Faker is the you know, LeBron equivalent in League of Legends. And if he would have walked onto the conference floor, he would have been mobbed by fans asking for autographs, pictures, selfies, and the like. And so there have been some unbelievable sort of meteoric rises in star power that people are attracted to. And not only do they watch them play live in, in real matches, but they watch them practice on a daily basis. Players are getting online and streaming themselves. They're giving pointers and tips as to why they play a certain way because I think one of the great things about esports is it's incredibly accessible. It doesn't matter really how old you are, if you're male or female, 
you know, all of these factors are taken out of play. Um, your score is your score, and everyone can improve and get better if they continue to play and play and play. But it's important to understand, lastly, that there are a lot of video games out there, and they're published, uh, they're published by companies like Activision or Riot or Bethesda Softworks, but not all video games are esports. Esports are multiplayer, um, typically 5v5 or 3v3. Some are 1v1, um, but they're embraced by a community in chat boards, on Twitch, and people start to crowdfund prize money for people to participate in tournaments and the like. People attach themselves to team brands where you know, they believe in a team's values as opposed to their you know, geolocation. Right now, teams aren't necessarily geolocated or tied to a specific region in esports, so they're international in nature. There's just a lot of really cool activity happening in esports that I think is very relevant for professional team operators to pay attention to, particularly as we look at new media distribution for our existing team rights and then reaching that next generation of fan that may never have cable and may never come to our building. And so we have to be cognizant about, well, how do we garner and engender fandom within this younger generation of, of people? I had the over-under at Twitch mentions at three. You were the <laughs> under. So let me bring in the third mention of Twitch. The NBA is experimenting with its G League. And something John Skipper told me a long time ago seems to be appropriate here. This is about scale. If you can aggregate eyeballs, he doesn't care what it is, where it is. If it can aggregate eyeballs, he wants it because then it's his job to monetize. Is that how you look at it? Yeah, I don't think that's a terrible way to think about it. And I think what we're so fortunate and lucky to have working in professional sports is sort of that last bastion of live appointment viewing within the media landscape. I mean, no one watches um, Thursday night at 7 p.m. to watch their favorite show debut anymore. It just that, That's an old muscle memory from previous generations. Like, where's the, where's the, the, where's the creativity? Where's the creativity? Where's the creativity? I think like American Idol captured it for a little while. Survivor captured it for a little while. American Ninja Warrior captured it for a little while, but there's no staying power. It does seem as if sports is the only thing, because of the unscripted nature, that has that staying power. And it's one of the most, the last predictable things, too. The puck is always being dropped at 7.07 p.m. The ball is always being tipped off at 8 p.m. Uh, you know, for, for West Coast audiences or whatnot, right? It, it's always on time, and there's always a game to watch through the national deals or through the regional uh, partnerships that have been forged by the individual teams themselves. And on top of that, sports is the last staple of that's really keeping the cable bundle together. It's the last piece of programming that you have to be a subscriber to either a satellite or a cable service to watch all 82 Capitals or Wizards games. You have to be a subscriber of NBC Sports Washington to, to have that. Now, you can watch an authenticated experience through the NBC Sports Live app, but you still have to be subscribed to a cable service, or at least your parents have to be subscribed to a cable service, I should say. Um, and, and so, you know, I do think that if you look at the sort of the top 40 most highly rated events last year, it's all sporting events. NBA Finals Game 1, Game 2, Game 3, Game 4, Game 5, Super Bowl, right? 
Stanley Cup Finals, World Series, they're all there consistently. Um, and because of that, it's still a very attractive place for advertisers to spend dollars, too. You know people are tuning in as opposed to watching on TiVo later. I mean, that's a very, very small subsect of the audience that's recording a game to watch it later because they're busy at another event or whatnot. I mean, it just doesn't happen that often. We are chatting with Zach Leonsis, Senior VP of Strategic Initiatives for Monumental Sports and Entertainment, and you guys started the OTT Network. My guess is that it's a hedge against wherever we're going. You're up and running. It's a testing ground. Your pricing. I was always curious in the pricing. Eight ninety nine a month if you sign up for a one year commitment. Twelve ninety nine without it. How did you come up with the pricing for that network? So we actually have some new pricing, Scott. Oh, I good. Correct you. I hate to correct. <laughs> no, you, no. But correct I will. me. Everybody else in my life does. <laughs> <laughs> so we've actually split up our packages to really start to define. Uh, video versus the other benefits of we ha- that we have for being a member. Um, so obviously we, we've really found ourselves to be students of Amazon Prime and the bundling of not just video, but in real life membership only experiences and merchandise opportunities too. So we now offer a $6.99 per month video pass and then we offer VIP memberships at $9.99 a month or $89.99 for a year and that includes all of our video, as well as a 20% merchandise discount within our team store and a once-monthly team event, complimentary ticket opportunity or experience. So um, last month it was a cooking class with the Capitals players. So the first 300 subscribers to RSVP got access for them in a plus one. Who made what? Uh, yeah. Who, who made yeah. what? And, and cooked pasta with Madison Bowie, right? Oh. Next week it might be a, a holiday mixology class with Otto Porter, right? These are these experiential in real life opportunities that you can bundle as part of a subscription package in ways that linear television just can't. What I, I'm really excited about with Monumental Sports Network, though, is it allows us to experiment not just with different packages, but with different production techniques. You know, if you, if you watch an RSN broadcast, those broadcasts could be $50,000, dollars $70,000 per game. Not all of our games need to be fifty, sixty, or $70,000 broadcasts. They can be... $1,000 broadcast, $5,000 broadcast, 10000 20000 30000 just based on the quality of content, the quality of rights that we're streaming online. And so if you give yourself that flexibility, you allow yourself the ability to scale and sort of reach long tail, which is what we've done with high school sports and programming in the DMV. This year we'll do well over 500 live events. We'll do well over 100 hours of original programming for our subscribers behind our paywall. But we'll also experiment with some streaming through social platforms like Facebook and Twitter. I think it is a great platform for further development of esports, particularly. And if they ever become regionalized in the future, I think it is a platform for digital gaming experiences where you're watching the game through a video player and then gaming directly on top of it through special overlays that will be developed. Um, We have a really cool partnership with Kiswe Mobile that allows you to um, switch back and forth between multiple camera angles in the broadcast, rewind, clip, and share to social. So a lot of different 
very cool tools that you can do in di the digital world that you really can't via linear. And NBC Sports is an equity partner in Monumental Sports Network, and I think that they've seen value in it, not only because we're direct-to-consumer and acquiring a lot of data, we're building a secondary subscriber base while the primary subscriber base declines, but it also allows them a great petri dish to experiment with new technologies with. So um, it's been a great project so far. We are very excited about year two. Encourage you guys to visit the network or download our app. Check out our brand new 24/7 linear feed. You will you will see that our network feels very much just like a regular TV network would now. Well, I heard food, so you know I'm in. And since you guys have the Washington Wizards, you guys are right now on the momentum side of the four major sports food groups, as I like to call it. Many people are believing that the NBA will be number one one day simply because, uh, as they said, because of the uh, length of the games, it's shorter uh, and more exciting to watch than uh, even the National Football League. I'd have to agree with that. I think that my dad and I definitely believe in the school of thought that indoor sports have incredible advantages when it comes to entertaining the next generation of fans. And it's because basketball and hockey combined are incredibly fast. In basketball, there's constant scoring. And most of all, there's great quality control for data collection. So we're really, uh, we're really excited about an investment we've made in a company called Sport Radar, um, which has incredible infrastructure and powers all the data collection for the NFL, NBA, and, and NHL. And you're able to get pinpoint accuracy and start to relay data as content, which I think savvy sports fans crave. Um, you also can't deny the international appeal in nature that the NBA has developed. And now they're starting to develop academies in India and Africa, just like they did in China. And we see how big the NBA game has gotten there. So I do think that the NBA is the most global of the North American uh, major four leagues. I mean, they're trying to compete now with, you know, the EPL teams in Europe. And I don't think that's too far away. We're definitely bullish on where the NBA is heading. Zach, we need so much more time. I mean, you mentioned your dad. I don't think we had talked about him yet. Right. Ted Leonsis, a former AOL executive. But you did mention Sport Radar. NFL, also an equity holder in that company. And one of the big things they do is supply live data to the betting houses around the world. Do owners of U.S. sports teams view legalized, federally regulated sports betting as the next great revenue stream for them? You know, I don't want to speak for any other ownership groups besides ourselves. All I right, I'll say you're going to be right, so you tell me how you view it. I'll, I will tell you that certainly my dad and I are proponents. We're such big proponents that we actually held a hearing on Capitol Hill um, to advocate for it. And we're advocating for it because it's a $400 billion a year business that is unregulated and untaxed. And we've been sharing this story a lot, and I'll share it quickly here. We live in a tri-state area in Washington, D.C. We're bordered by Virginia and Maryland. And in Maryland, gambling is legal. MGM Grand National Harbor, five minutes across the D.C. state line, might be the biggest casino resort in their portfolio now. And if you go to their parking garage, it's 
10 stories, and it's all D.C. license plates. They, they're a corporate partner at Monumental. They're the casino partner of the Capitals and the Washington Wizards. Um, Maryland Casino Live is our second casino partner, and they, they sponsor a hospitality area at Capital One Arena. And so we just look at it and we go, oh, my gosh, what a missed opportunity for Washington, D.C. to participate from a tax perspective um, when all of it's going to Maryland. I think we liken what's happening now in gaming and gambling to prohibition days, right? Um, you've outlawed it, so you think you're stopping it, but that's not the case at all. It's still happening, and when it's unregulated and, and untaxed, that's when bad things can happen. Um, so I, I, I think we keep asking, who are we protecting? Are we protecting these illegal bookmakers and the like? It doesn't make any sense anymore. And we should embrace it because it drives huge engagement around our teams and huge viewership on national and regional broadcasts. And there's no secret that you know, that's why Monday Night Football is popular, right? You lost your weekend bets, so you want to make it up on Monday. And it might be Cincinnati and Pittsburgh playing, two relatively small markets compared to the other 30. But you're going to watch because you might have something on the line there. So we do. We, we have become advocates for gaming and gambling. We think there's huge benefit to regulating it that protects the sport and is also beneficial to the fan as well. Now, Zach, I have spoken to you about my son, and the listeners have heard about my son, little 8-year-old Jackson, sitting right behind us right now with his iPad in hand. The question for you is, in this new world of second-screen or third-screen experience, and I did ask this of Peter Cohen as well, is it possible that the sport, which you are deeply ingrained in, I, mean, I know you care about these sports, is it possible that the social or the betting becomes the first screen and that the sport itself becomes the second screen, sort of in the background, just something that has to happen for this other platform and these other activities that the youngsters love so much? Definitely possible for some people who are interested in that. Um, I think we could definitely see... You know, programs like Sports Center retrofitted into, you know, sort of mad money style shows where you've got buy side and sell side analysts. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're bullish on these players because they play well in adverse weather conditions and third quarters when the team is 500 and a playoff opportunity is on the line. I mean, that's the sort of granular data points that are going to be craved by by betters in the future and they already are they're just researching it and, and trying to find it out in different ways but i do still think that there are sports fans and the majority of them are like this who just care about the teams and i think that's what we feel so fortunate about that you know 20 years from now I have no idea if I'll still be using an iPhone or not, but I'm still going to be a Washington Capitals and a Washington Wizards fan. And I think people are so brand loyal to their teams as long as the teams treat them well um, that that passion and that built-in community will last for generations to come. People know that you're connected, to obviously, to the Washington Capitals, the Wizards. You own Capital One Arena. But you guys are also connected to the film industry. You guys own Snag Films, correct? Correct. So my dad actually um, created an independent film documentary um, on, a, on a book called Nan King. Mm -hmm. 
And it's not a light family comedy. It's sort of a, a serious, dark-natured movie. But it did very well. Uh, it won an award at Sundance and it won an Emmy Award. Unfortunately, though, very few people saw it. And I think that my dad experienced what a lot of film, independent filmmakers see, is you put your, your heart and your passion into building this great movie, and you don't get the distribution that it deserves. And so my dad launched a platform called Snag Films, and what Snag Films is an ad-based business, free to consume, available on almost every platform. But what Snag Films really unlocked for us was the ability to engage as an OTT network. We developed our own applications and platforms, et cetera, user management systems, subscription management systems. And then we started to white label out the business to different customers and the like, including Monumental Sports Network. And now that development agency is actually sort of the crown jewel of that business. Um, so it's interesting how, you know, an entrepreneur's tale will take you from starting to create an independent movie all the way to launching an OTT digital development shop. You would never think that those two could be connected. But that is the story of how we've sort of ventured deeply into the OTT world. But I'm going to tell you where you get most of my money. It's not DraftKings. It's not the Wizards. It could be the Capitals, because you know my little guy loves his hockey. I know. But he's a goalie, right? He's a goalie. He's, <laughs> he's insane, yes. But <laughs> as, as part of your VC fund, you, your investments include Sweetgreen. Yes. That's where you True. get the money, because <laughs> I well, stand online. I, my wife goes there every single day for lunch. She's reached gold status. Does she have a special card or something? Serious, which is very serious. She gets invited to special events and whatnot. Um, it's pretty remarkable. But, yeah, they are killing it. It's, they're, they're a great company, great double bottom line business, making America healthy again. Um, it's a wonderful place. It, it's so, I mean, how sweet cream? We, I, I go. I just call it like lots of salads. <laughs> it's, it's a million choices of salads, but but it's yeah. good. I'm a guy, and I still like their salads. I think that's pretty impressive. I I love it. And by the way, I also love it's no cash. Yeah. It slows yeah. things down. No cash. So Absolutely. another another place where you can test everything for your for sports teams as well. Data oriented, right? You got to use their app to pay, and they're direct to consumer. They gather a lot of information. Data capture on, on fans and customers is incredibly important for optimization of the product, marketing. It's so informative. They know if I come between the hours of 5 and 6, they can just get the Harvest Bowl ready. Zach Leonsis, thank you very much for taking time out of your vacation and calling in from California. All right. Take care, guys. Thanks thank so, much. so much. Thank you, sir. Takeaways from the interview. I, I think what really caught my ear is how Zach just simply said, you know what, people just don't sit around the TV anymore the way they used to and at a particular time. It, people have their own schedules, and cable and network TV, that's going to be a thing of the past if it's not already. It's not like I didn't know this already, because I've known Ted Leonsis for a long time, and I've known Zach for a while now. But to see the generations working together, yeah. and Zach really kind of leading this OTT and the New World Order. It's it's interesting to see all their tentacles, where they are, how one beast feeds the other, and how with the centerpiece of the name recognition of the franchises, they are building this sports and entertainment global, more and more looking global company.
My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since a kid. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. And now for the number of the week. You're this is a surprise this. today. No, you're I don't gonna like, get this. Don't forget, I've been on vacation, so I don't, I don't know numbers. <laughs> what do we got? The number is nine. I'm going to give you a clue. It was worn by one of the most famous sports figures Goryha. ever. Goryha. Oh, see, you just, you just. <laughs> I went you to just, Detroit. You just, you just want a beer at my I, house. I went to Detroit. It's close, man. All right, what do we got? Number nine, Ted Williams. Yeah. Boston Red Sox slugger. Yeah. Now, why am I bringing him I, up? I don't know. Because letters from the Red Sox slugger and the Hall of Famer are going up for sale. They're going up for auction. Provide some insight into Ted Williams' hiatus from baseball to serve in the Korean War. And there are some letters that he penned to a mistress from 52 to 54, including one in which he describes crash landing a fighter jet with holes all over the plane. And they're going on sale next month in uh, Biddeford, Maine. You buying? I would love I would love to get one. I, if they'd sell them separately, yes. But if they have to take the whole lot, there's no way in the world I can afford this. This is going to get over. Yeah, people sounds interesting. I'd li- I'd like to read it. I mean, it's, it's, he talks about he talks about his father when his father passed. Uh, how he regrets that he didn't spend more time with his father. There's also a letter that he penned, and he was talking about while he's serving about how one of his buddies purposely sabotaged the plane so he could spend time with his girlfriend. Nice guy. I, I just want to I love the stories where he says as soon as the pitcher released the ball, he could see the spin. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I like hearing like the best of the best telling how they did it and how easy it was at points for them where it's for you know, mere mortals like us. Well, he couldn't miss the blooper test. pitch. Right. Well, the EFIS. <laughs> but for people who don't know, the, the blooper pitch, it, it was uh, this pitch that just a long arc, and nobody could hit the doggone thing, except Ted Williams. Well, if you're sitting on 95 and it comes in at 45, it's not easy. <laughs> You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, exploring the world of money and sports. I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in next week when we speak with Bill Hancock, the executive director of the College Football Playoff. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world and online as an Apple podcast on iTunes.